Bless the Lord. Amen. We're going to turn to Job chapter 2. Job, the book of Job chapter 2. Before I preach, I just want to say something to the parents here, if I could for a moment. Um, Obviously, we know a lot that's going on uh, between all the the things that have recently happened, the events uh, that have recently happened, dealing with police officers and different things. And I just encourage you parents, listen to me. If your children are old enough, you need to speak to your children. Um, And I'm saying this because I didn't know that my children knew what was going on. And they were beginning to formulate opinions and thoughts. And it wasn't until me and my wife sat down with them and gave them a biblical perspective and made sure that they were on track and not looking at things the way the media is trying to pump it. And so I would just encourage you parents, uh, talk to your children. Because you think they may not know or you think they may not be hearing it when in actuality they're forming their own opinions. And if we're not careful, we'll let the media shape their thoughts and not the Bible. Can you say amen? And so just encourage you, if your children are old enough, you know, I know you shouldn't be talking to your two-year-old, right, about this stuff. But if your children are old enough, amen, and, and, and they've been exposed to this, you might want to make sure alone. Just at the same time, Principal Tullock died and Mrs. Tullock was left alone. Quite unexpectedly, Queen Victoria came to Mrs. Tullock when she was resting on her couch in her room. The queen stepped forward. My dear, she said, don't rise. I am not coming to you today as a queen to a subject, but as a woman to another who has lost her husband. She put herself in her friend's place. And that's what God did for us. And that is what willing, amen, to get involved in the lives of men and women especially when they are hurting, especially, amen, when they are going through difficulty and issue. And this can't be just a superficial type relationship. This can't be something that is only surface, amen, but a deep-rooted relationship with people. We must be able to help those that are in grief, that are under tremendous pressures of life, that life has dealt them a bad hand that they weren't ready for. And we must be able to become their first responders. Now, I know that they ought to run to God. I know that they ought to pray. But there are times when grief and hardship can grip you and I to the point that God looks far away. Can you say amen? That we can go through things that are so tremendously overwhelming that we don't know what to pray. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to say. And that's when we need people to step in and help us. That's when we need people, amen, the body of Christ, spiritually sound people to come in and realize where people are at and begin at least, amen, to give them sound advice, at least to give them just a shoulder to cry on, at least give them just a shoulder to lean on. And this evening in our text, I want to look at a very familiar portion of scripture. And I think that sometimes these three get a bad rap. And so let's read our text, Job chapter two. We're going to look at verse 11, read through 13. Bible tells us this. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all his adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar the Namanite, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him. 
and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. Verse 13. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for this this service, God, men and women that are here. But I pray, God, ultimately let your will be done. But I'm asking you, God, to change our hearts. God, let us be first responders to the hurt, to the broken, to the unsaved. I'm asking you, Lord God, put that burden upon us that we can't live another day without going and witnessing, without going and touching, visiting someone else. And I thank you, God, for your word. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Learning from first responders tonight. Learning from first responders. Let's look firstly at the answering the invisible call. Verse 11 tells us that when they heard of Job's troubles, each one left his own house. First of his, uh, we need to look at his friends. God went after, they didn't ask, uh, Job did not ask them to come. That we must realize that Job did not send a call out and say, hey, I'm hurting. Can you come over here and comfort me? No one didn't. uh, Job didn't do these things. But yet when they got wind of it, when they heard what happened, they began to set their journey to Job. Church, we need people that will go visit the hurting. When that somebody is under pressure, when you catch wind that somebody is hurting, when they start missing from services, when they're not answering phone calls, it doesn't mean send out more text messages. But what it means is go to their house. What it means, amen, is go to their home. What it means is drop in on them. Well, what if they get mad? Who cares? See, Job's friends weren't worried about, well, should we go or shouldn't we go? It wasn't even a question. It was, you know what? Our friend is messed up. Our friend is hurting. Something is wrong. And we need to go over there and see what's going on with Job. Church, we need people that will leave their own. In other words, leave their own lives. Leave their own issues. Even leave their own families for the sake of another A face-to-face encounter. And again, Job didn't even sin for them. See, too often we say, well, I'm tired. Well, you know, I work. Well, you know, I have this going on. I have that going on. I have kids. I have this, that, and the third. And you know what? Fine. Everybody, I think, here can almost use one of those excuses. But the issue is, but that person is still hurting no matter what you and I have going on. That that person still needs somebody, amen, to go see them and even minister to them, even if you got things going on. You're going to have to be willing at times to put it aside, amen, and say, you know what? Hey, kids, I would love to play with you today, but I got to go see brother so-and-so because I haven't heard from him and he's ignoring my phone calls. You know what? We would love to go to dinner, but you know what, dear? I need to go see sister such and such because you know what? I have a feeling. I think God is telling me something because she stays in my mind and she stays in my heart. Do you understand what I'm saying is that there are times that you have to be willing to leave your own amen for the sake of somebody else. And they did it out of a concern 
for their friend. Can I ask you a question? When people come into the church, are they just a number or are they our friends? Do they become family? Do they become friends? Or are they just another person? Just another body? Just somebody else? Because if it's a friend, we're going to go see them. If it's a friend, we're going to wonder about them. If it's a friend, we'll go visit them. Verse 11 tells us, For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and comfort him. Notice here that they came together and decided what they were going to do. They had the same mind. Go see Job. And this is how we should be church, that we should all be going to go see the same people because we have the same mind. That when we see somebody and we know that somebody is hurting, listen to me, they should get annoyed at how many church people are going over there. They should start saying no more Potter's house. It should get to that point. Why? Because we all have the same mind for it. We're all thinking about that same person. And so that's when we go and say, you know, we're going to invade this and see what's going on. The hurting, the missing. Our mind should say, where is such and such? Where is so on with him? What's been going on with her? The mindset is not, well, hopefully they'll come back. But the, our mindset should be, I'm going to go see them. I'm going to figure out where they live. And I'm going to go see them and try to talk to them and see what's going on. These three men made time to go to see a person in bad shape. They didn't put it off. But listen to me. They made time. See, church, I, I got to be honest with you. I get sick and tired of people who make excuses. I'd never have time. I don't have time, but you have time for everything else. But you never have time for what's important. And what's important is not our leisure. What's important is not our sleep. What is important are the souls of men and women. And you have to make time. You have to decide, I'm going to go there. They had a plan. We will go there with two intentions, the Bible says. They said they're going to go there to comfort him and to mourn with him. They decided that they will go there to meet Job what he is, where he is in mourning. And then they will lift him up and comfort him. And that is true ministry. It's going to the hurting and meeting them where they are at. And then after a time, amen, bringing them up where they should be. When somebody is hurting, amen, it's not the time to just blast them, which we're going to get into. It's not the time just to give them every scripture you know. But there are times where you must just sit with them and meet them where they're at, but not just stay there, but with the game plan of getting them out of that rut and having and helping them to see God again. Helping them to see that faith is hope is still alive. Can you say amen? Letting them see that Jesus Christ is still on the throne. And there are times, amen, where you're going to have to meet people first where they're at. They said we're going to go mourn with him and then we're going to comfort him. And this is true ministry. James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. To visit the hurting. 
the broken. To add to this for free, if I could, these men were, are, are believed to be older than Job, and they had wisdom. And this is what people need. Can you say amen? This is what men and women need. They need people who have wisdom to go visit. People who know what they're talking about, who have been through a couple of things. Amen. I'm not saying that by visiting people that will be able to make them forget about their pain. But it's about being there and just being real with people. See, listen to me, folks. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but people know fake from the real. And they know when you're just faking it. They know when you're just there just because pastor sent you. Uh, they know when you're there just because you're trying to meet a protocol. They know that. Listen to me. They can sense it. But when you really care for someone, when you really uh, uh, have, a, have a burden for their soul, they know that as well. And so you're able to speak into their life and say things that other people can't say because they know deep down inside you love them. So while I'm not saying that we'll be able to take away people's pain, but what I am saying is that at least if they begin to have their eyes begin to dip low, if they have their eyes begin to go down, at least we can bring their eyes up again to Christ. It's the attempt, just showing love to someone, showing that you really love them. And not worrying about other things. Well, I'm not comfortable in these type of situations. Well, I'm not comfortable. Who cares? I'm not comfortable. Who? Where does the Bible say that God cares about your comfortability? Who cares what you're not comfortable in and what you are comfortable in? There's a dying world. And you're going to be put in situations that are uncomfortable. And yet, and still, they still need ministry. Can you say amen? They still need someone to give them the gospel. They still need someone to show them that they can be healed. So with that being said, let's look secondly at the realities of deep pain. Our text, verse 12, tells us this. And they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him. They lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. First responders in the natural sense, your ambulances, your police, your firefighters have to face things that are ugly sometimes. In my job, I, I work, I mean, there's a police officer there and, and oftentimes we get a chance to chit chat and talk a little bit. And they'll tell me about the horror stories, amen, that you don't see in the newspaper about the things that they've encountered and had to walk into and keep their bearing, amen, and do their jobs. Things that are terrible, things that are ugly. But yet and still, amen, they still have to do their job. In the text that I just read to you, I want you to think about a couple of things with me. Because as first responders to the broken, you're going to see some things that you don't want to see. You're going to see a side of people that maybe you've never seen before. And in this text, we see some things. Number one, pain changes people. Let me say it again. Pain changes people. The Bible says they raised their eyes from afar 
and did not recognize him. Now, I understand he had boils, but he didn't have that many boils. What happens is that deep grief, when you're dealing with people, you must understand that in deep grief, in times of hurting, in times of brokenness, they may sound different. They may look different. They may speak different. And I have dealt with believers even that didn't sound like believers anymore because of what they were going through at the time. The sorrow and anguish was so deep, amen. And you have to be able to recognize that pain because that pain will cause them to do things that are out of their character, to cause them to do things, amen, that they wouldn't normally do and say things that they wouldn't normally say. And you have to be able as a first responder to recognize that pain has the ability to change people. That doesn't make them a lost cause. That doesn't make it that they still don't want to believe. That doesn't make it, amen, that they're just completely away from Christ. What it means is we have to dig through all the dirt and get to the root of the issue and show them that Jesus Christ can help them. Can somebody just shout amen from your car? So one, pain has the ability to change you. Number two, somebody else's pain can affect you and I. Bible tells us in the text, they lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. Why did they weep? It didn't happen to them. They didn't lose anything. Their families didn't tragically die, nor did their wives tell them to curse God and die, but yet we find them all crying as if it happened to them. That's because of connection. And sometimes that's what we're missing. We don't have a true connection with people. So when they go through things, we're like robots. We don't know how to sympathize and empathize. See, somebody else's pain, if you have a connection, it should do something to you. Now, I'm saying, amen, that you should be weeping and rolling on the floor. But you should be able, if you have a connect with them, if you love them, then there is something, amen, inside of you that can feel what they're going through. That can feel the pain, amen. That can put yourself in that position and go, my gosh. When people go through things, it should affect you somewhat. <clears throat> a brother or sister's a brother or sister in Christ, their pain should affect us. Doesn't mean we become full-time mourners, but it would it means is that their pain just draw a response out of us. Mark chapter 1 verse 40 tells us this, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. Jesus being moved. Amen. This man coming to him and, and, and basically imploring him, begging him, coming to his feet and saying, God, if you could just heal me, Lord. And God being moved because of what this man was going through, because of the approach of this man, moved with compassion. Can I ask you a question, church? When people go through it, are you moved? Or is it just another backslider? 
Are you moved? Or is it just another number? Third thing we learn, the realities of pain. Number three is you better have patience when you're dealing with people who are hurting. Job 2.13. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his grief was very great. You know, you better have patience, man. One whole week waiting on Job to say something. One whole week of silence, but yet presence. So you must be patient with people when they're going through it. Patient in listening and really hearing what they are actually saying. And if I can just inject something about that really quick. Because Job, in chapter 6, verse 24 and 26, he says something so interesting that I I, I gotta touch this really quick. He says to his friends, Teach me, and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred. How forceful are right words, but what does your arguing prove? Verse 26 Do you intend to rebuke my words and the speeches of one, of a desperate one? which are as the wind. Look at what Job is saying here. You guys are coming at me with some truths. You are using my words against me when my words are as just as the wind. What is that talking about? He is saying, in this moment, I am speaking out of my grief. I am speaking out of a heart that's hurting. But don't take it as this is how I feel all the time. Don't take it as, you know, this is just who I am. It's just in this moment, I am saying these things and you are just acting like as if this is what I've always believed. This is how I always have been. See, there are times, church, when people will say things out of their grief. They will say things out of anger, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they mean that. It's just because of what they are going through at the moment. And we're going to have to pray for discernment and say, God, let me hear what they're really saying. Because I think we can agree that all of us here have said things out of anger that we didn't mean. All of here have said things, have said words that are just as the wind. It's not, I didn't mean it. It was just out of this pain, out of this guilt. I said, I hate God. And if we're not careful, we'll hear that and go, oh, you backsliding now. Oh, you didn't messed up. Well, maybe you should wait. Instead of coming after them. Because maybe they're just saying things in the midst of their anguish. In the midst of their pain. See, I can feel some of you right now. You don't want to hear it, and that's fine. That's okay. Because you don't want the responsibility of dealing with somebody. Because you know once you get involved with someone, that's it. And so you rather go away. But let me tell you something. There's no greater joy than to get involved into the life of somebody else and see them make it for God and see them live for God and start to do ministry, start to work in the church, bring other people in. There's no greater joy. And if I have to go through mud, amen, to get to the promise, then let the mud come. Can somebody say amen? But too often... Instead of just being patient, we judge people by their words and we begin to move swiftly with correction. 
Learn to understand moments. Learn to understand when people are in moments and deal with the moment. Let's stop treating people like robots and thinking that everybody's cookie cutter, that I can just give the same advice to everybody and it just works. Learn to listen to people. Now, I understand as I begin to wind this down, I understand that Job's friends said some things to him. But they said some truths. They just said it in the wrong moment. Because Job is an anomaly. I'm telling you, his friends never saw this before. And so they automatically jumped like, Job, you've lost everything. Yeah, you must have sinned. <laughs> Job, everything is gone. You've lost We've never seen God do this to somebody who's righteous. And so I understand that they made a mistake. But they get a bad rap. At least they showed up. At least they said, Job, we coming, we coming, Job. We're going to sit with you, Job. And many times we're so scared to say something. We're so scared. Well, I don't know if I should. So what does that mean? Do nothing? You see somebody crying on the floor, do nothing? Just stand there? You see somebody hurting? You can tell in their countenance, you can tell in their words. And what do we do? Nothing? Is there not a cause? See, this is the reality of deep pain, folks. Listen to me, especially you who are called to preach. Let me speak to you before I close. If you think that when you go out, it's all gumdrops and peaches. If you think that you're just going to preach these powerful sermons and that everybody, you know, three million people are going to get saved in an hour. That may happen, <laughs> but you will have to deal with what I'm talking about tonight. You will have to deal with real issues you will have to deal with real lives, amen, real brokenness. And if you can't do it here, when you have support and when you have others, oh, it's going to be tough to do it out there. This is the training ground. This is where we run into the fire to learn how to put out fires. It's right here. And so stop avoiding it. Stop acting like it's not there. Run to it and go, you know what, God, help me. And even if you're not called to preach, you're still called to help people. Even if you're not called to pastor or to be an evangelist or whatever the case may be, you're still called to help people. You're still called to be a servant. And so, you know what, that means you may have to dive in some mud. But to see a brother saved, to see a sister saved, to see, to see somebody make it, it's worth it. Let me close. Let me close. I can feel it. Let me close. Let me close. I want to close with do something. Again, I understand that Job's friends gave right words for the wrong situation. I understand that more so they accuse Job of wrong. So I understand why we can be apprehensive to go visit to the hurting and go 
deal with people. Because let's be honest, we don't want to be like Job's friends. We don't want to say the wrong thing. We don't want to make matters worse. And so I understand the apprehension. But does that mean, again, to do nothing? Does that mean to stand back and let somebody just crumble because of our apprehension? Or does it mean to say, God, help me a sinner to help another sinner? Or does that mean, God, use my dealing with occupational hazards. They may not know exactly what to do, but what they know that they do. And it doesn't mean you have to have all the right answers. It doesn't mean that you have to have every Bible scripture. So oftentimes, that's not what you need to have. All you need to have is a heart for people and a willingness, amen, to go visit, a willingness to go sit, just a willingness to go deal with them and just point them to Jesus. And this is what Job's friends show us. We rag on Job's friends about what not to do. But I would declare to you that they also show us what to do. At least they showed up. And sometimes, folks, you got to be a little more aggressive and less passive. Sometimes, let me tell you what I'm talking about. Acts, Acts chapter 8, verse 29. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? We know the story. Philip is dealing with this man, amen, who is reading scriptures. But Philip was doing his own thing until the spirit spoke and told him to overtake the chariot. In other words, get in there and start talking. Invade his space and, and start and start speaking. And oftentimes we're like, well, I don't want to invade nobody's space. Well, you know, I don't I don't feel con- I, you know, I don't know how they're gonna react. Exactly. You don't know how they're gonna react. You don't know. So it's better just to go and then to get mad. But what can they get mad at? Because we care. That I can deal with that. Can you say amen? I can deal with somebody getting met new Christ even more. Because I firmly believe that if we are willing to invade space, that God will give us the words to speak. That God, amen, if we trust in the spirit, that God will give us what to say in moments of time, what to do in moments of anguish, that he'll give us these words if we are willing to step out there. Church, the church is a place where people can come hear the gospel and be healed. But can I remind all of us is that the church are the people. The church is not the building, but the church is us. That people can come in and hear the testimonies and and hear the praise reports and see the joy, and see the hope, and realize if it can happen to them, it can happen to me. If they were able to get through it, and so am I. You know, back in the day, 
obviously you could go to the hospital. But back in the day, doctors would make house calls. They would go around, there'd be a neighborhood doctor, and he would go around to the different houses and, and make house calls and, and go into the home and, and begin to diagnose and help and direct and even sometimes just sit and bring comfort to a family. And I would declare to you, church, we need to become like that again and start making house calls, man. Start stepping out of that comfort zone and going and seeking out people. Who knows? Who knows? But if you continuously live in fear, then, 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 then what's the point? If we continuously live in fear about helping people, then why are we outreaching to them? Job's friends made mistakes. I'll give you that. They made mistakes. But I give them credit. They had a willingness to go see their friend. I'll give them credit. They had a willingness to just lay it all out there and just let's see where the chips fall. They were willing to leave comfort of home, to leave their nice homes, to come to a man who was sick, who was broken, who was jacked up, and just sit with him in the dirt for seven days. I'll give him credit. Are we willing to do that, folks? I'll leave you with a story. Not too long ago, I went to go visit a brother. And we, we went to go, me and my family, we went to go visit their family and they had been on our hearts. They had been on our minds. I said, I said we got to do a drop-in. That's what I call it. We do drop-ins. So if you ever hear me say, hey, we dropping in, that means we coming over at some point, but we're not going to tell you when. Because I will find out where everybody lives, so don't worry about that. But we do drop-ins. And so we drop in, we knock on the door. Hey! And I, I get to the point, folks. I'm, I'm getting old. I ain't got time no more. Get to the point. You know why I'm here. Ain't no cake and cookies in my hand. Ain't no chicken. Come on. I'm so glad that we went because the brother sounded different. And this is what kind of sparked this. He sounded different. He didn't sound right. And he's, he, he, I mean, he's all messed up and I'm talking to him. And listen to me. I didn't give him a whole bunch of scripture. All I said was, hey, man, the same God that saved you this amount of time ago is the same God that can help you now. So get up. Don't lay here and loathe all day. Let's get up, man. Let's go do something, brother. Let's go take the earth, man. Come on. And thank God he got up. Now, yeah, I could have been home eating salad. I, I could have been home working on sermons. I, I could have been home playing with my beautiful, lovely, wonderful daughter. I could have been talking to my most majestic wife. But we said, no, that can wait because I don't know how much time they have. I don't know where they are at. 
I don't know how deep they are. I don't know how far to the edge they are. And I'm not willing to find out later. I'd rather go there and hopefully pull them back. And folks, that doesn't make me special. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's because we love people. And we realize that somebody did it for us. And we'll never forget that. And so our gratitude says we're going to reciprocate that and do it for as many people as we need to. And even if they don't make it, and even if they don't respond, at least we can say, I responded to the invisible call. I responded. I went after it. And they didn't respond. And I can live with that. But what I can't live with It's knowing that I could have been able to say a word. I could have been able to speak something. God could have gave me something to tell them. And because of my issue, I didn't. And I just encourage you folks. We are first responders. We are men and women that God has chosen to go after other men and women. And if you're not doing that, if you're not, and listen to me, I love you all, but I got to be truthful. If you're not doing that, then there's a problem and it's not the person, it's you. Because there should be something inside of us that remembers the days when somebody followed up with us. There should be something inside us that remember the days when we were all jacked up and crazy and somebody had to wrangle us a little bit and do a drop-in for us. And so church, let's be what we're called to be. Let's go respond. Let's go see people saved. Let's go touch the broken. Let's go see people that are hurting. Let's do what we're called to do. And I'm telling you, we do that. We'll see an explosion, man. But not only just an explosion. We will see people born again at the feet of Jesus in their right mind because they were first responders. There was somebody who was willing to go stop the bleeding at least. There was somebody that was willing to set in place the broken arm again. And because of that, they came back to Christ. Because of that, they're serving God today. I just encourage you, church, learn from Job's friends. Let's be first responders. Let's get out of our comfort. And let's get comfortable being uncomfortable. For the sake of of a brother and sister in Christ, for the sake of the new convert, for the sake of the hurting. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Now I understand I did not preach on salvation. But the bottom line is this, folks. We all need Christ. And maybe you're not the first responder that I was 
talking about and alluding to. But maybe you're on the other side. You're the one that we're trying to respond to. You're the broken. You're the hurting. You're the one without hope. You're the one without Christ. You are the one that we're trying to get to. You're the one that we are trying to run after. You're the one that we're running into the fire for. And this evening, you can respond to Christ. This evening, you have an opportunity to get your heart right with God and be born again. If that's you, you say, you know what? It's time for you to respond to Christ. It's time for me to get my heart right with Jesus. If that's you, we want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. If that's you, if you would just raise your hand out of your car, wherever you may be at, doesn't matter. But you raise your hand so I can see and say, you know what? Pray for me, Pastor. I see that hand. God bless you, brother. You can put it down. I see that hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Say, that's me. I need to get right with God, man. Praise God. Someone can pray with our brother right here in the back here. White truck. There's someone coming to you right now. He's going to pray with you. Maybe you're watching from live stream. And you say, you know, I need to get my heart right. Maybe you're watching. You say, you know what? I ran away from God. It's time for me to come back. Well, this evening you can have that opportunity. Don't waste it. Don't think, well, I'll wait till tomorrow. I'll wait till the next day. No, no, no. Today is the day of salvation. At the moment that you have an opportunity. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. I want you to say, Jesus, I thank you for the blood that was shed on the cross for my sin. And I ask you to forgive me. And I repent from my sin. And I ask you to touch my heart. To cleanse my mind. To give me new vision. And let my face be a flint to you. I thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Who's been missing? Somebody. Who is not that you're just backslidden, not that they just don't they just don't want God anymore. Could it be that there is so much pain and anguish that they're just lost? And what they need is one person just to go to the house. What they need is one person, one person just to speak a word to them, to just get them back on track. Who knows unless we go? Who knows unless we try. And I just encourage you folks. Let's let this week be the start where we start responding. Let it be different. Don't leave here all just the same sermon this morning, same sermon tonight. No, 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 no. Let's be changed tonight. Let's be changed, man. And during all this unrest, let the body of Christ make the difference that they're supposed to make in the earth. But we're going to have to respond. Amen. God bless you all. That's all I have. God bless you all tonight. God bless you watching our live stream.